The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new. Good to see you. So good to be back. Uh, If you're new around here, uh, my name's Barry. I'm the senior pastor, and I've been gone for the last three months. Uh, I've been on sabbatical. Our our elders years ago established an incredibly generous sabbatical policy for all our pastors on staff that every seven years, uh, you get to take a sabbatical, a three-month sabbatical. And um, I've been on staff in some capacity at IBC for about 16 years The time that I was scheduled to actually take my first sabbatical actually was the year that I took over as a senior pastor. So for rather obvious reasons, we didn't do it that year. And and so this year was an opportunity that I had just to to take some time and to be away, to to set aside for a season the the weight that comes with ministry and leadership and just to, uh, to be with God and to be with my family and to... Um, just explore what it means for, for a season just to be a Christian. And it was an incredible gift to me. So I want to say thank you to, uh, to our elders. I want to say thank you to our staff that carried the weight while I was gone. To say thank you to all of our volunteers and really to all of you who made it possible for me to be away. I want to especially say thank you uh, to Brian, who was just up here, as well as uh, Sissy Matthew. Um, they served with me on our senior leadership team, and, and they especially carried some heavy weight uh, in my absence for these last three months. So I just come back this morning with an incredibly grateful heart. I'm really excited over the course of the next couple of weeks just to kind of download with you some of the things that I feel like God has been teaching me and stirring in me over the course of these last three months. It's been an incredibly rich time. I got all kinds of stories to tell, and I don't have time to tell them all today, but I, I want to begin this morning with one story in particular that actually came at the end of my sabbatical. One of the things that I was really hoping to do and, and was able to pull off the weekend before I came back and rejoined with our staff uh, was to take my boys out to Colorado. And we camped out on the bank of the Arkansas River. I have a son who's 21, a son who's 18, and and I have wanted throughout their life to take them to do what I did back when I was their age, and that is to to go whitewater rafting in the Royal Gorge. And we've rafted a couple of times before, but the gorge is just, it's an altogether different experience. And so this was going to be our opportunity to raft the gorge. And we had an incredible time. I mean, it was beautiful. We had a beautiful day. The, the, The river's running fast, and it was an incredible experience. The only, the only kind of challenge of the whole thing was there was this kind of, kind of stocky older gentleman in our boat who kept falling out and having to be rescued. <laughs> it was me. I was the stocky older gentleman that I got put on the very front of the boat. See, the, the, the thing is, is that all the action in whitewater rafting is right on the front of the boat. And I had actually positioned my two boys to be right up there on the front of the boat. The thing is, the guy that was our, our river guide is like a massive hulk of a man. And I think he was wanting to kind of distribute some of the weight on the boat. So he had my two skinny young adult sons sit in the very back of the boat. And he put me and this other guy up on the very front. Well, we got going down the river, and uh, one of the things you do when you're whitewater rafting is the, the, the guide will shout, you know, I need three forward strokes or two back strokes, and he gives you instructions, and that's all about getting right to the right place that you got to hit, to hit that rapid in, in the right way and to go over the top of it. And, um, and so we're all supposed to be 
paddling in unison. The, the problem is this guy sitting on the front next to me, he didn't know how to paddle. And I was so frustrated. Even before it happened, I, I knew it was coming because he was like slapping at the water. He was going fast, but not actually digging and getting. And so we're not getting to the spots that we need to get. And we came up on this one rapid and I just saw it coming. Like I knew right where we were supposed to hit, there was a rock that was underneath the water and we were supposed to go right around the side of that and right down into that, but no, not the way it worked. I saw us go miss our spot, go over the top of that rock, which then dipped our boat down on my side of the boat. And so we led straight into this rapid and I just saw it coming. Sure enough, it just pulled me right out of the boat. It was no big deal. I've actually had that happen before. Some of you remember me telling that story. They reached in, pulled me right back in the boat no big deal. On we go a little further, and we come up on a class five rapid that's called Wall Slammer. You can tell by the name of the rapid what happens. If you, if you don't hit it just right, it's going to slam your boat up into the wall. Well, well, we're coming along, and sure enough, I'm watching it once again. We're not hitting it in the right spot. And, and this time, the, the boat dipped down into the rapid, and I really thought it was going over. Now, I've rafted a number of times through my life. I've, I've been thrown out of the boat before, but I've never flipped a boat. And I was really scared because I thought the boat was going to flip. But I was pulled into the water. And I think what happened was um, when, when my weight was now in the river instead of in the boat, it kind of distributed the weight in the boat a little better and the boat right size. So I took one for the team, I'm saying, right? I just, I'm, I'm trying to be Christ-like, right? Sacrifice myself for the sake of my boatmates. And so I'm in the river, but the problem is now we're in wall slammer, right? And it's the wall of the Royal Gorge and the boat, and I'm in between where the boat is now slamming up against the wall with me in between the boat and the wall. And uh, this one was a little scarier, I'm not going to lie. And so I thought I was worried I was going to go under the boat so I went to take in a big, deep breath of air, but instead took in a big, deep breath of water. And so now I'm in the water and I'm sputtering and I'm trying to catch my breath and I just reach my arms up and, and the, the, I now was behind the boat. The guide was able to reach down, pull me back in the boat. I'm now laying in the bottom of the boat, sort of flailing around, sputtering, trying to catch my breath, but we're still in the middle of this big rapid. And so he's saying, I need you to get back in your spot. I need you to get back in your spot. I need you to get back in your spot. I'm like, I don't know where my spot is. And so I'm laying there disoriented. I don't know if I'm in the front of the boat. I'm in the back of the boat. So I said, where am I? Well, this is not a good question when your two young adult sons are already a little panicked thinking they've just about watched their dad drown. And now dad is saying, where am I? I meant, where am I in the boat? <laughs> Now, I thought about that, though, after getting back, and we made it back safe. We had a blast, and uh, I thought about that moment at the end of my sabbatical as, in some ways, perhaps an apt metaphor for where I started the sabbatical, right? Coming off of uh, navigating all the chaos that comes with leadership, coming off what's been a pretty intense stretch in the life of our church, at a time where I was just kind of trying to catch my breath, and sabbatical was like a gift to be able to stop and just say, where am I? Where am I in my relationship with God? Where, where am I in my relationship with my family? Where am I in my life and ministry? And so this sabbatical was just an opportunity for me to be able to do some, some deep work with God, to do some, uh, some rigorous self-examination and, 
and introspection and to think about some big ideas that weren't big ideas for me to have to come back and to, to have something to say to all of you, but, but some big ideas that I needed to get deep down inside of me and deepen my relationship with Christ. There's a verse that I kind of thought a lot about over the course of the three months away. It's uh, in the book of Hebrews, and the author of Hebrews is, is speaking to the entire church about those who serve in church leadership. Hebrews uh, 13, verse 17 says, Obey, says to, the, to all the people in the church, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. I like that part of the verse. Right? <laughs> obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls. And they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for, bene- for your benefit. Their work, my, my work is to watch over your souls. And I gotta tell you, I, I think I'm pretty good at, at watching over budgets, watching over staff, watching over sermon series, and watching over worship services. And those things are all really important, don't get me wrong. But this was just a reminder to me that the deeper, more important call on my life is to watch over souls. And there's some weight to that, to watch over souls and, and, and to be accountable to God for the souls of people. And so I just need to say this morning, I need y'all to stop sinning because apparently I'm going to be held accountable for that. <laughs> right? but, but my calling, the, the deeper calling of God in my life is to watch over souls. And if that's true, then that must begin with me watching over my own soul. And that's what this last three months has been for me, the opportunity for me to do some deep soul work with God. And uh, to, to do some of that work, I did a deep dive over the course of this three months into the writing of Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard, is a, uh, he, he passed away about 10 years ago, but he, he taught philosophy for years at USC and did this sort of writing about spiritual formation on the side. But one of the most profound writers on Christian spirituality, spiritual formation, um, he's one of those that, uh, that is one of the few people writing in our lifetime that will continue to be read after our lifetime. And Dallas just had this remarkable way of taking the the teaching of Jesus and the way of life of Jesus and communicating it with deep, profound truth. But also the thing that everybody that talked about Dallas talks about is the way in which that truth just got down in his bones, right? The way that he lived it, that as much as his ideas were compelling, his life was even more compelling. And so I did a deep dive into Dallas Willard. I read three of his books. I I read parts of a couple of other books. I read a biography about him and a collection of essays that were written in his honor after he passed away. And uh, I may get a little Dr. Jones on you today. I think you guys can handle it. But these are some of the ideas from from Dallas's teaching, his way of synthesizing the life and teaching of Jesus that have really impacted me. And Dallas says a lot about this passage that we come back to quite frequently at IBC, when Jesus writes or says in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble of heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy 
my burden is light. It was really from Dallas that I learned that idea that Jesus' yoke is, is a first century metaphor for just Jesus' way of life and, and Jesus' teaching. And so Jesus is saying, adopt my teaching, adopt my way of life, and I will give you rest for your souls. And I got to tell you, when I began the sabbatical, I, I did not have a soul at rest. In fact, it was really strange because the first week of my sabbatical, I just found myself feeling this sort of constant sense of simmering anxiety. Anybody know that feeling? Um, and it was weird. I wasn't sleeping well. And I was like, what is, what is happening? I've got three months off of work. Why, why, why am I feeling this way? I was not experiencing a soul at rest. But it was in that first week that I came across an idea from Dallas's writing. And this is sort of my paraphrase of it. But the, the, the way it kind of captured my thinking, Dallas said this. He said, um, whatever you continue to worry about is the clearest indication of what you've yet to surrender to God. Whatever you continue to worry about is the clearest indication of what you have yet to surrender to God. And, and in some sense, that sounds like, duh, right? Like, it's almost like common sense, but, but yet it spoke deeply to my reality. What you continue to worry about is the clearest indication of what you've yet to surrender to God. And what I was worried about was you. It was this. It was us. What was happening is that I was realizing through the spiritual discipline of sabbatical, which is letting go of any sense of control, I had to face just how tightly I was trying to hold on to some illusion of control. I kept reading in Dallas and came across another idea that just spoke deeply to my reality. For Dallas is the human soul is not made to bear the weight of outcomes. And that's not an excuse that we don't, we don't have agency or that we don't try, or, but, but it's just the recognition that ultimately outcomes, I have to surrender to God. Here's, here's the way Dallas says it in Renovation of the Heart. He says, uh, what we most learn in his yoke, that is in the, the, the yoke, the life, the teaching of Jesus, beyond acting with him, is to abandon outcomes to God, accepting that we do not have in ourselves, that is in our own heart or soul or strength, the wherewithal to make this come out right, whatever this is. Even if we suffer according to the will of God, we simply entrust our souls to the faithful creator in doing what is right, First Peter 4.19. Now this is a major part of that meekness and lowliness of heart that we also learn in his yoke. And what rest comes with it? The soul rest that Jesus promises, the soul rest that Jesus offers comes from abandoning outcomes to God, surrendering ourselves to him. Now, as I did this work studying the writing, the teaching of Dallas Willard, synthesizing the writing and teaching of, of the Bible on spiritual life in the way of Jesus. Um, in, under, in order to understand more deeply what it means to, to care for the souls of others, but also to care for my own soul, Dallas provides this kind of uh, understanding the functions, the different functions of a human person. 
And it's not the parts like we could take a scalpel and separate them. It's just the recognition that there are parts of us, functions that take place in the different dimensions of our lives and the way in which those are related to one another and the implication that that has for understanding and caring for our souls. And so it begins, the core, Dallas talks about, is the will, that capacity to choose, to to make decisions, the the capacity for freedom that God has given us and and honors in us, that, that, that at the heart of the human person is the will, sometimes biblically referred to as the heart, which talks about the the core of us, or the spirit. The spirit is that that immaterial aspect of our humanity that that animates our life in the world. But all those refer essentially to the same function in the scriptures. The will, the capacity to choose. And the thing about the will is it's remarkably important, but it's also very limited. Um, there's a book that I really like. It's a, a book that's kind of about productivity and, and time management, really more about energy management. And it's a book that I've read multiple times. I've kind of read it about once a year for the last several years. The title of the book is The Way We're Working Isn't Working. It's just this recognition of oftentimes the way that we operate in, in life and our careers um, we're not managing our energy well. We're approaching burnout. So I come back time and again to this book, The Way We're Working Isn't Working. I, I was talking about this with our staff a while back, and um, Jason Elwell chimed in and said, you know, it seems to me that if you have to read that book every year, that maybe the way we're working isn't working isn't working. <laughs> but there's this, uh, there's this uh, research experiment that's described in the book that is run by a guy named Roy Baumeister who talks about, he was studying human willpower. And to to undertake this experiment, they got two groups of people and put them in two separate rooms. And the point of this experiment was for them to be given a puzzle that was impossible to solve and to see how long they stuck with it before they gave up. But the factor that differentiated the two groups is in one room, the group of people was put in there and asked to wait for a period of time And in the middle of the room on the table was a plate full of chocolate chip cookies. And in the other room, they were asked to wait for the same period of time. There was a plate in the middle of the room, but on that plate was radishes. And the whole idea is to say, sit and wait with these temptations there in front of you, and then be given this puzzle to see how long you stick with the puzzle before you give up. And it was remarkable to note the stark contrast between the cookie group and the radish group, because the cookie group all gave up way faster than did the radish group. Why? Because the cookie group was having to exert their willpower in order to avoid eating the cookies. And therefore, when they had to exert their willpower to stick with it on this impossible puzzle, they didn't have much left, and so they gave up. On the other hand, the radish people didn't have to exert any willpower at all not to eat the radishes. And and the point of the experiment just shows that that, that willpower is like a muscle. It gets depleted. It gets used up. It gets tired. So we all have a limited supply of will and discipline. The will is important, but it's also limited. And on a Christian understanding of things, The will is not made to conquer. The will is made to surrender. 
Again, to quote Dallas Willard, he says in Renovation of the Heart, the God-intended function of the will is to reach out to God in trust. The will is not made to, to conquer. The will is made to surrender. I can't. You can. I surrender. Now, if my will was working the way it's supposed to, if my will was working right, I would always want to do the right thing, and then I would always do the thing that I wanted to do. I would always be the person that I wanted to be. But I don't know if it's, is it just me, that it doesn't always work that way, right? So at, at the core, at the center, is the will, the, the heart, the spirit, and then the next ring out is the mind. And, and the way Dallas talks about it, the way the Bible talks about it, is the mind is the center of both our thoughts and our feelings, and those two things are interrelated. Now, if my mind was working right, I would always think true thoughts. And I would always contemplate the good and, and the true and the beautiful. And that my feelings would always correspond with reality. But I don't know if it's just me, but I don't always contemplate the true, the good, the beautiful. My feelings don't always correspond with reality. S sometimes I think prideful thoughts. S sometimes my thoughts are, 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 are captured. What do they think about me? S sometimes I, I think lustful thoughts. Sometimes I think anxious thoughts. And my thoughts dominate my will and run my life. Because sin has gotten into my mind. The center is the will, then we have the mind, and then the next circle out, we have the body. And the way Dallas talks about it, reflecting the way the Bible talks about it, is the body involves our habits and our appetites. And our, our lives are run by habits way more than I think we often recognize that we wind up doing things habitually, that, that a habit begins with an act of the will, a, a decision to do something, but then over time it becomes automatic. And uh, our brains actually sort of shut down when it becomes a habit, when it becomes automatic. And this happens whether it's a good habit or it's a bad habit. Our brain doesn't know the difference between the good habits and the bad habits. Um, there was a uh, study done uh, uh, in this book, The Power of Habit, a book that I also read over my time away. They talked about um, a study done on the brains of rats running through a maze. And they would study these rats to have them in the same maze day after day, a very simple maze. And on one end of the maze was a piece of chocolate. And when they first put the, the rats in the maze, it took a lot of time, a lot of energy for that rat to figure out where the chocolate is. So there would be a sound that would happen when the gate opened. The rat would run in, look around, and eventually find the chocolate. Well, what happened is over time, the rats figured out where the chocolate was. It didn't run around, just ran straight to the chocolate. And they studied the brain waves on these rats in the maze. On the front end, when they didn't know where they were going, the, the, the brain activity was at the same level the whole time. But what happens is once the brain, once the, the rat learns the way, it becomes habitual, the brain activity, it goes up at the front when they hear the sound, and then it dips way down where they're not thinking about it all. They're just going straight to the chocolate. And then it spikes again when they get the reward. There's a cue, there's a behavior, and there's a reward. And all habits work that way. 
they begin with an act of will, but eventually they become automatic. And now again, if my body was working the right way, if everything was as it's supposed to be, I, I would um, have habits that were all virtuous. And I would um, have appetites that were all properly constrained. But I don't think it's just me that it doesn't always work that way. Because sin has gotten into our habits. Sin has gotten into our appetites. Sin has gotten into our bodies. And we wind up with these habits and these desires that sometimes are in conflict with our will, who we really want to be. And our bodies wind up running our lives. Our habits and our appetites wind up running our lives. The center is the will. You with me? The next circle out, the mind. The next circle out, the body. The next circle out that Dallas talks about is the social context, our relationships in our lives. Just the recognition that in so many respects, we are who we are in relationship to other people. And that our, our lives are deeply formed by relationships. And this is really interesting in this cultural moment we're living through because we're suffering from what some have called an epidemic of loneliness. I heard John Ortberg, a pastor, talk about this study that was undertaken by a guy named Robert Putnam, who was studying the impact of joining a small group, just, just joining a group of other people, and the health impact of being a part of a small group. This study that they undertook demonstrated that joining, all things else being equal, joining a small group reduced your chance of dying by half over the course of the next year. If you're looking for some motivation to join a formation group we talked about earlier, there you go, right? Join a small group or die, your choice. <laughs> but we're made to live in community, in relationship. And if, if my relationships were all working rightly the way they're supposed to, they would all be healthy and thriving, that I wouldn't over-function in relationship, I wouldn't under-function in relationship, conflict wouldn't, right? But it doesn't always work that way, right? And then there's one more circle. We, we start with the will at the center, the mind, the body, the social context, and then the outer circle, Willard talks about as the soul. And the soul is that capacity for integration of all the other parts, all the other dimensions into one unified life. Here's the way that Willard describes it. He says, uh, what's running your life at any given moment is your soul, not external circumstances or your thoughts or your intentions or even your feelings, but your soul. The soul is that aspect of your whole being that correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. It is the life center of the human being. The soul is that deep part of the self that integrates all the other dimensions in, of the self into one life. The soul integrates. So when my life is rightly ordered, beginning from a surrendered will, my life is integrated. I have integrity. But what happens is we experience disintegration when other aspects, other dimensions begin to run our lives. When I have habits or appetites that run counter to God and his ways, my body begins to dominate my life. When I have thoughts, feelings 
that run counter to God and his ways. My, my mind begins to dominate my life and I experience disintegration. It's interesting, Jesus uh, offered a really important question in Mark chapter eight. Mark chapter eight, Jesus says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul, forfeit their soul? And for a long time, I thought what that meant is what, what good is it for a person if they get all the riches, all the fame, all the pleasure, all the things that, that the world has to offer, and then they die and go to hell. But I think Jesus is talking about something different than merely what happens at the end of our lives. He's talking about something that can happen in our lives right now, that we can wind up living in such a way that we lose, that we forfeit our soul, that we become disintegrated. And the rest of soul that Jesus promises is when our lives are rightly ordered, beginning from a place of a will surrendered to God. The rest of soul begins from a surrendered will. And this was for me the big invitation from God over the course of these last three months. The invitation to learn to live and surrender. And I wonder for you this morning, is your soul at rest? And what is it perhaps that God is inviting you to surrender? What we worry about is the clearest indication of what we've yet to surrender to God. The human soul was not made to bear the weight of outcomes. But a soul at rest begins from a will surrendered. And I want to invite you right now, everybody across the room, just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And maybe for you this morning, just to extend your hands in front of you, palms up, open, symbolizing what it is that you need to surrender to God today. I believe that for every one of us in this room, there's something that God is inviting us to surrender. For some of you, it may be today the first time to surrender your whole life to God, to, to, to trust in Jesus with your whole life, both now and for eternity, and to commit yourself to trust and to follow after him. Maybe today it's for you to surrender all that you are and all that you have. Jesus. But maybe for others, it's a, it's a person, it's a relationship, it's a habit, it's an addiction, it's the future. What is it for you today? God is inviting you to surrender. I want to lead you in a prayer that's become very meaningful to me over the course of my sabbatical that I'll uh, offer to you that you can make your own today, a prayer of surrender from Richard Foster. Today, O oh Lord, I yield myself to you. May your will be my delight today. May you have perfect sway in me. 
May your love be the pattern of my living. I surrender to you my hopes, my dreams, my ambitions. Do with them what you will, when you will, as you will. I place into your loving care my family, my friends, my future. Care for them with a care that I can never give. I release into your hands my need to control, my craving for status, my fear of obscurity. Eradicate the evil, purify the good, and establish your kingdom on earth for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new.